everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today, you're listening to episode 173, and I'm talking with Kara Goucher. Kara is a two-time Olympian. She's a silver medalist in the world championships in the 10K, and she's a mom, a wife, an author, and she is a community builder in the women's running space. She's got great retreats, the podium retreat, and all kinds of amazing things that she's doing to build community in the women's running scene. I had never talked to Kara before this interview, and I felt like we were fast friends. I'm not just saying that. She was so natural and comfortable and easy to talk to, and I hope maybe I can go on a run with her someday. Before we get started talking with Kara, I want to convince you to come run the One America 500 Festival Mini Marathon with me and so many of my friends. It's such a great race. It's one of the largest half marathons in the country, and you get to run on the iconic Indy 500 track. I'm doing a meetup run on Friday, and we're doing a meetup at the expo on Friday, and then on Saturday after the race in the early evening, we are doing an event with my friends at Michelob Ultra and Athletic Annex that will just continue on the celebration of the weekend. So you guys go to IndieMini.com slash register. Use the code ANOTHER19 to get $7 off your entry fee. And tag me on social media. Find me in my Facebook group, Instagram, wherever. And let me know if you'll be there. We are going to have so much fun. Lots of friends coming into town. Charlie Watson, Janae Barron, Kimberly Clark. And I can't wait to hug everybody and just have a great experience. Also, just so you know, it's a really flat, fast course. And I want to give a shout out to Lily Trotters for supporting this episode of the podcast. Lily Trotters is my favorite compression sock. It's a women-owned company. Their socks are not only stylish, but they are functional. They're super cute. You can dress them up, dress them down. I'm going to Boston next weekend to run the marathon, and I will be wearing my Lily Trotters while I travel. And the good news is, is you guys can save 25%. That's a huge discount on your pair of Lily Trotters when you head over to lilytrotters.com and use the code ANOTHER. Check them out. This is a longtime supporter of my podcast and just a company that I believe in and enjoy working with. So lilytrotters.com, use the code ANOTHER for 25% off your order. And speaking of Boston, we are doing a live show. I'm doing a live podcast with Carrie Tolson, Allie Feller, and Tina Muir Saturday at 5 p.m. at the Sheridan in Boston. I will have a link to register in the show notes. The crazy thing is, is the show is sold out. And this show is sponsored by Generation You Can, by the way. But you can join the wait list. So make sure you head over if you're going to be in Boston and join that wait list to be a part of the event. And something tells me you could just like show up and sneak on in the back, even if it's full, because these are free tickets. So I have a feeling a handful of people that registered probably won't show and we will actually have room for you. So uh, check it out. Link to that is in the show notes. All right, you guys, enjoy my conversation with Kara Goucher. Hey, Kara. Hi, Lindsay. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, this is fun. I just was listening to your podcast with Scott Jurek and... I was like geeking out because oh. one of my like total all-time heroes is Bob Kennedy. And then of course, growing <laughs> up next to Scott Jurek, he's like so huge for me because he's like grew up just 20 minutes from where I grew up. So anyway, I was like, 
she knows everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm just lucky to live in a city where I just like happened to fall into being friends with Bob. And so um, it's such a cool connection. But yeah, that Scott show was so fun. Yeah, it seemed fun. It was so funny how he just casually introduced Scott Jurek. And then Scott's like, by the way, I don't know if you guys know who Bob Kennedy is, but like he's kind of a big deal. Yeah, well, I introduced the two of them because Scott just like rushed into town. He got there like literally three minutes before we were supposed to start. And I introduced them very quickly. And then five minutes later, he looked at me and he was like, wait a minute, is that the Bob Kennedy? And I'm like, that's who that is. (laughs) That's awesome. But it's like Bob's always, it's funny because Bob's like, people that are new to being fans of the sport of running who kind of didn't grow up in that like nerdy track age or whatever, like they don't know who he is nowadays sometimes. And so he just kind of plays it cool. I I, I believe that, but it's still like so hard for me. I mean, I remember when the Kennedys came out, I wanted them so bad. And then I started dating Adam who had to race against him. And I was like, is this bad that I'm wearing Kennedys? Like, I mean, (laughs) he was just like, such an icon for those of us that watched him in 96 and yeah I don't know it's just pretty cool too funny uh we're talking with a two-time Olympian a medalist a silver medalist in a world championship game and a mother a wife a community builder and a passionate runner what am I missing Kara I I mean you pretty much summed it up I think yeah (laughs) I'm so honored to talk to you you know it's like in prepping for this interview, I was talking, I was talking it through with my husband, Glenn, and we were just kind of going over the fact that like, you really were the woman in American distance running who kind of like bridged the gap between like Dina Castor and like what's going on now with American distance running in the women's field. And I mean, would you say that's accurate? Do you feel like you kind of played that role? Yeah, a little bit. I think you know, we had these huge icons of like Joni and then Dina, and we really just had like these mega stars kind of. And yeah, I kind of feel like I, you know, I never won a major like Shalane or Desi have now, but I kind of started to go after those big things. I was kind of, Dina and I really didn't race each other much. So I was a little bit after her. And then all of a sudden it bled into this like crazy environment where now we have, I mean, we have so many amazing distance runners and just track runners in general now. So um, it's a totally different ball game now than it was five or six or seven, certainly 10 years ago. I'm trying to think your first Olympic games, your two is 2008. How old were you mm-hmm. then? Let's see. I was 30. Okay. 30. Yeah. So I, yep. So I, the trials were, I turned 30 like a day or two after the trials. And so I was older, you know, I was spent most of my twenties injured and frustrated with some pretty severe injuries and having surgeries. And so um, yeah, I didn't make my first team until 08. And that's something we kind of forget about. Like those of us who weren't living it, like, you know, we think Kara Goucher Olympian, you were on the track in 2008, you ran the marathon 2012. And I kind of like forgot about how injured you were in your twenties that, and to be on the track at 30 doing the 10 K that's wild. Yeah. So I, you know, in 2000, I ran the Olympic trials, um, as a college student and I made the final in the 5,000. I missed the team by seven seconds. And it just seemed like 2004 is just like natural progression. I'll get better. I'll get faster. And I'll make that team in 04. Um, but four years later, I hadn't come close to running my PR again. I was injured all the time. I barely even made it into the trials. Like I had to get in on a B standard. Um, that's when they had a B standards and, 
then I got knocked out in the first round. And so it was just this, a lot of years of struggle. So basically from like, Oh, one until Oh six. No, no, no. Oh, one to like, Oh, four was just a lot of injuries and a lot of setbacks. And then finally in Oh five, I started to get healthy. And then in Oh six, I started to like, believe that, well, like this could happen. I could be the runner I thought I was, but there was like three or four really just difficult, icky years. Mm. Yeah. And that's something, you know, I was just interviewing Des about kind of like the longevity of her career. And one of the questions I asked her, which I'm going to ask you too, because I didn't have this in my notes, but now just like talking through your injuries and all that, um, you also have a long career, but like there's so much patience and perseverance that ties into that. Like we look at the Olympics and the world championships and these big stage races, and we see you there at some of them, but like, we don't see that hard part. Like those like moments where you're like dreaming these big dreams, but you're set back because your body's not working the way it needs to work. So right. how do you get through that? Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. There were times where I was really depressed. Like I passed up a postgraduate scholarship because I wanted to chase this running dream. And there was a period of my life where I would try to sleep so late that Adam would have gone to practice and come back. And then I would cross train for like two hours. And then I would just sit around the rest of the day. And I was just so depressed. I was like, I could have been somebody mm. and instead I like cross train for two hours a day and I'm just miserable. And, um, what year was that? Like that was 2002 was a really, really rough year for me. I had uh, a, a stress fracture in my femur, but not like a little hairline fracture. Like you could see it on an x-ray. And essentially my doctor said, if you don't shut everything down, I'm going to have to put a steel rod in your leg and it'll all be over. And so it was like this really horrible period of time where I was just, I couldn't do anything. And I was like newly married and Adam was running great. And I was like, so happy for him, but also like envious. And mm -hmm. I didn't want to go to practice because I made me feel sad and I was getting out of shape. And it was just really hard. But in the back of my mind, whenever I thought about just like throwing in the towel, I felt regret. And I was like, I can't, I hate I hate the feeling of regret because it just like eats at you, but there's nothing you can do about it. You can never go back in time. So regret is one of those feelings I just hate. Like I just want to know I did everything I could and then I can just set it aside. And I had that feeling every time I thought about it. So I was like, well, I know I have to just allow myself to get healthy and try one more time. And it just seemed like every time I'd start to get healthy, I'd get another stress fracture or I'd have to have surgery on my knee. And it just was like this cycle and I started to think, like, am I crazy? Like, <laughs> am I crazy that I thought I could be a great athlete? And, you know, I had won NCAA championships, and it started to feel like maybe that was a curse because it gave me false hope that I could make it in the sport. But I just, even though there were a lot of dark days, I just never totally gave in. And then I just finally started to crawl out of it. And, yeah, it just turned around. You know, when you talk about trying to sleep in as late as you, you can, is that because you're like, and I've, I've gone through moments of like deep anxiety where like, I'm like, I feel safest in bed. Is that kind of yeah. how you felt? Yep. I was just like, I just want to sleep this away. I don't want to get out of bed and face the fact that like, I can't live the life I want to live. Mm -hmm. And I've passed up these other opportunities to chase this dream that I can't even, I can't even go for a one mile run. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So I just want to sit here in my cocoon and like wait till Adam gets home and 
you know, it's just, it was really hard. And I felt embarrassed. I had put on weight and I was embarrassed. I didn't want people to see me. It was just like a really weird, hard time. But, you know, like I said, when I would think about like, I'm just going to move on. Like, this is crazy. I can't keep doing this. I would just feel this regret. Like, I just, I feel like it's in there. I feel like I could do it. And so I just, you know, would get back into cross training, get back into running and just keep restarting the cycle. And uh, finally, I got to the point where I stayed healthy. You know, it's interesting talking about like, you know, Adam's like in the peak of his career and like doing so well. And you're kind of feeling like, I just, I want a taste of that too. And I think we can relate that to our jobs, our marriage, our friendships. When you see someone else having success, it's so important to celebrate them, but like it can be difficult to involve yourself in it when you're kind of like in this pit yourself. Totally. And, you know, we've, our careers sort of flip flop the highs and the lows. So when we were first married, Adam was running amazing. He made the Olympic team. He made the world championship team. I kind of followed him around Europe and uh, people would go, Oh, what do you do? And I'd be like, well, I run too. <laughs> and they'd be like, Oh, that's cute. You know? Um, and I'd be like, no, I mean like I, I run, but then, uh, and then we had a couple of years. We were both running well, 06, 07, 08 a little bit. And then things kind of started to go the other way for him. And my career kind of like took off. And so it, it's, tested us numerous times because of course you're so happy for your significant other who you love so dearly and you've literally watched them do all the work to get where they're at but you're also like man like why can't we just be on top together and why Mm -hmm. can't we both be making this Olympic team at the same time and why is why am I so low and you're so high and so it it has challenged us a lot but I think we've been married for 17 years now and one of the things that I think has made us so strong is that we have been through all these ups and downs and highs and lows together. And, you know, if you can work through that, then you can face pretty much anything. Tell everybody about when he showed up at the New York City Marathon wearing the Mr. Care Goucher shirt. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that was a period that was hard for us. Like I had made the Olympic team. I won my first U.S. title at the Olympic trials that summer in the 5,000. I made the Olympic team in the 10,000 and the 5,000. And he, um, he dropped out of the 5,000 on advice from his coach because he wasn't going to hit the standard. And then he ran the 10,000. I think he finished sixth, and of course only the top three go. So I'm going over to the Olympics and we just feel really disconnected. You know, the year before we had raced at world championships and we had room together and he had made the final and we had both run pretty well. And now I'm in the village. He can't even get to see me, you know, like I can't, we're just feeling so disconnected and I'm heading over to the practice track and he can't get on that. And he felt really like he was watching me live this life that he didn't get to be a part of. And I missed him. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was part of the reason why I struggled in Beijing was I was like, I'm on the biggest stage of my life and I'm not with my husband. I'm not with like the normal things that are normal to me. And so it was really hard on both of us. And then I had decided before the Olympics that I really wanted to run the New York city marathon And I came back and I just trained so hard and he was really supportive throughout that time. And it was like a switch had flipped in him. Like, I'm not going to, I don't want to stand on the outside. Like I want to be in this with her. And so I didn't even know about that shirt until I I finished the race. I had no idea. And, you know, I had been up with him that morning. He had fetched me coffee and gotten me breakfast and all this stuff and take me to the bus. And, um, he was, I texted him all along the way. And then, uh, before we started and yeah, it wasn't until we finished and he was like hugging me and then. I, he unzipped his jacket and I saw his shirt and I was just like, I love you. Like, Aww. it was just like for us a really big moment of, of saying like, I'm okay being your, 
I'm okay being like your partner, your yeah. teammate, you know, and we are okay being each other's teammates. And whenever that, that person needs a teammate, we're okay being that. Yeah. Now, New York, this is before Colt, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because yep. this is 2010 and you had him in 2011 or am I off a year? This is 2008, 2008. and um, and he was born in 10. Okay. Well, because I'm just, I'm thinking about the partnership thing and um, you know, him wearing that Mr. Care Goucher shirt. Like I talk this through so much because, and this is talking about parenting a little bit and you guys are parents now, obviously, but like somebody posted this article the other day about how it's so hard to be a mom and work and, um, not have this guilty conscious that you have to be the one to do it all. And I kind of read the article and walked away feeling like, I don't know, I feel like my husband and I do a pretty good job splitting things 50-50. And like, I don't feel guilty that he's the one doing the so-called mom things, you know, like Mm -hmm. I've traveled for business lots since our fourth baby was born. And like, he's been the one home with the kids, not me. Like he's never been away from the baby and I have. Um, So my question with all of this is like, once you guys introduced a baby to your relationship, did you kind of see that similarity? Do you struggle with feeling any kind of mom guilt or do you feel pretty like 50, 50 on the parent thing? I feel like, I mean, I definitely have times where I have mom guilt, you know, like when I have to travel or, um, I don't know, I, I have those periods, but at the same time, I would not be a good mom if I didn't chase my own dreams and goals. It's just the way I'm wired. I need to be doing something that not that being a mom isn't fulfilling because I love being a mom. Sure. And actually it's the greatest thing that ever happened to me. But I also am just wired in that way that like I have my own little goals and my own little challenges that I have always trying to meet. And so early on, like we agreed it needed again, it needed to be a partnership because if I was going to keep trying to compete and at the time, Adam was also still trying to compete, but we I couldn't do all of the mom things. And so Mm -hmm. we set a tone right away of like I nursed Colt, but right away from day one, Adam gave Colt the last bottle of the night and it was formula. Mm-hmm. And that meant that, and I would pump and I would take a shower and he would put Colt down for like the final, you know, you're going into your crib now. And that just kind of set the tone that if I'm running late or I'm, or I'm going to go away for a night or something like you guys can survive without me. And then, um, about, you know, when Colt was only about four months old, like two and a half months out from Boston, I stopped doing the middle of the night feeding. Adam started doing it so that I could sleep. And so I would often wake up at eight o'clock and they'd be asleep on the couch together, a little bottle there. And so it's not that it wasn't hard and it wasn't, you know, it's like you have four kids, right? Like it is a big difference in your life when a child comes along. But I think the more you are in that partnership, the better, you know, when I go away to Seattle to visit Wazelle or to visit with Noon or to visit with Ultra, you know, Adam takes care of Colt. And, and they're okay. You know, Cole yeah. gets to school. He has a lunch. He gets home. They do the homework. Like, they get it done. And so I think it's really important that you both can fill those roles because your kids need to know that they can count on your mom and dad for everything. And they can count on both of you. Yeah, it's so important. And, yeah, the middle of the night thing, that's tough. I think a lot of moms struggle with that because you think – Um, And I haven't breastfed since my first baby, but like you think I have the boobs, like I have the milk, so I'm the one that feeds. But like, it's good to know and to hear other people say like, no, like the dad can do the middle of the night feeding too, especially given what your life circumstances were. 
yeah, I would like pump before I go to bed. And like he would, when Colt would cry, he'd get up and do it. And then I would just feed him in the morning and it, it was fine. It was, and like people were worried that he would have like nipple confusion because he was, <laughs> had a pacifier and the bottle and me. And I mean, it was not a problem. So I just think, I'm not saying that's right for everyone because it's not parenting. It's super personal, sure. but you, you find what works for you and you find what works for you. You're, you have to be a team. You can't be pitted against each other because if you're trying to do everything yourself and you're like, well, I'm the mom and I have the boob and the baby came out of me and the baby knows me and smells me and, and I need to do it all. You're going to just get so run down. Mm-hmm. And, and even if you can get through it, you're not, you're going to let go of things that like, you care about for yourself and you just become so selfless and that's a great quality to be selfless, but you're a better, I mean, I would go and train so hard and I'd come back and I would be so focused on Colt Mm -hmm. because I had let go of everything I needed to let go of, like, you know, with anxiety and I'd worked towards my goals and it was just gone and I could just be so present. And I wasn't thinking like, God, I need a break. I was like, I want to be here right now. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. And I mean, the whole like not against each other you're in this together like I I oftentimes try to say that to my kids I'm like we're on the same team like when everybody's fighting I'm like this is our team like yeah we're all in this together okay one more cult family thing before we move on to a little present day stuff uh so is he nine he's eight he's eight okay so so far I know that every age has like, it's different perks for different reasons, like right now. So our kids are six, four, two in seven months. And two, I have decided is like the cutest age by far. Like (laughs) they're talking, like you're like, where did that come from? They're so cute. Yes. They still have little chubby cheeks and their voices are so sweet. Yeah. We're always like, our third is Russ. And we're always like, Hey Russ, um, how does it feel to know you're peaking right now? Like you're as cute as you're ever going to be. This is it. <laughs> this is it. Um, but I'm finding our oldest is six. So we're a couple years behind you with Colt. Um, I'm just finding six is such a fun age because they can communicate so much better. And I mean, it's like you're with an actual like person, you know? Um, yeah. so what's been your favorite season so far? Yeah. I mean, I think this is kind of like probably a common answer, but I feel like it just keeps getting better. Mm-hmm. And I know there'll come a point where he's like, Ew, get away from me. But he still <laughs> loves to be read to at night, loves to snuggle, loves to, you know, I started doing some trail running. So I took him on a little trail hike this weekend. He had so much fun. He wanted to go to the next day. Like it's just such a fun age because their minds are just exploding with different things. And they have, I mean, it can be a little tricky because now he has opinions like heaven forbid I pick out his outfit or you know, I tell the lady how to cut his hair or something like that. But, um, you know, he signed himself up for chess club. I was like, daddy and I don't know how to play chess, but we'll try to learn. He's just like, has things that he wants to do, which is so cool. And it's so fun to see your kid develop into who they are. But there he's at an age where he can really express himself and express his feelings and emotions. And he's not you know, we get we get older and we're like, oh, I don't really want anyone to know that I'm feeling jealous right now. But he'll like explain it to you. He'll say, I'm just feeling a little jealous of that right now. You know, it's just like a really <laughs> cool place to be. It's so innocent. Like they don't even it know. Is. Yeah, it's really, I th- I'm like, I know at some point that'll change, but I've, I'm really loving it right now because he's so interested in so much, but he still is so kind hearted and open hearted and so innocent. Mm, I know. I don't ever want it to go away. Okay. Neither. <laughs> <laughs> 
you recently announced you're running, you're going to run the Leadville Marathon in June, which is so exciting. Thank you. Yeah. Let's talk before that, though, about uh, Houston. I know you probably like don't want to talk about it, but um, you dropped at mile 19. The hamstring thing was going on. I just want to get in your head a little bit about like what that was like heading into that marathon after not running a marathon for so long and also um, being 40 and like knowing that, you know, you've run a 224 marathon and you've been the best of the best. So what was that like heading into that marathon mentally beyond the physical part? I had to kind of get there, to be honest. So I, after the Olympic trials in 2016, I knew I was in sub 227 shape, but the weather that day, um, you know, it, it was just hot so and then hot. it was a tactical. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like a very tactical race. So I didn't get to show it. So for a couple of years, I was just obsessed with getting back to that fitness and I just kept getting injured. Um, like proving one more time, like, Oh, I can run fast still. And Oh God, I was just like so obsessed with it. And honestly, turning 40 was like, for me, like the greatest thing, because I finally was like, and I mean, it's just like a tick on the paper, but I was like, I'm officially a master. Mm. I don't, you know, and even though I could still compare myself to everybody else, but I was like, there's a reason why there's a master's category. And that's because you're older. (laughs) Things are slowing down. And so it was like, it was the craziest thing, but it gave me so much relief to say, stop. You don't have to keep comparing yourself to the 20, 20 year olds and early thirties people. Like you don't have to do that anymore. And so that's why I feel like I finally stayed healthy throughout a marathon cycle. And there were times where it was really humbling. You know, I'd be doing mile repeats 20 seconds slower than I did leading up to the 2016 Olympic trials, but I still loved it. And I was at peace with what my time was going to be. I knew on a very best day, I was going to run 235. And on an okay day, I was going to run 237. On a not great day, I was going to run like 239, 240. And I knew that. And I was okay with that. It was hard to explain it to some other people. Mm-hmm. Um, because they'd be like, no, you're Kara Goucher. Like, you're going <laughs> to, you know, you're, you're going to surprise yourself and run 228. But, you know, I've run 228 many times. And I knew, even though I had done the volume and I had done the workouts, I had not done the paces necessary to run a time like that. And it wasn't because I wasn't trying, like I was trying (laughs) really hard, but I had just sort of accepted where I am. And so it was kind of like, I just came to peace and I enjoyed that buildup so much. I mean, the night before I was so at peace and I was so excited because the last marathon I had done was the trials and it ended on such a sour note. And so I was so excited to finally just like put that behind me and yeah, it just, it just didn't work out that day, which was super frustrating. And to be totally honest, it just felt really unfair from the universe mm-hmm. because it was like, if I finish this marathon, it doesn't change anyone else's life. I'm not kicking anyone off a team. I'm not like, you know, this is just for me. And that's mm-hmm. all that it's for. I would never, I didn't have any intention of running the Olympic trials. So like, this is just for me. It doesn't change anybody around me's life, you know? And so I was really frustrated, but, um, but I mean, at the end of the day, it was, I couldn't walk anymore. So it was just, it had to be done. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're kind of like entering this sense of like, what I'm hearing is like freedom. It sounds like entering a race like that, like beyond the hamstring, say the hamstring didn't, wasn't an issue. Like 
just being able to be like, I'm doing this for me. Like there's no obligations. There's no speed requirements. Like I just want to run a marathon and feel good. And like, it sounds like that's kind of where you're headed with Leadville. Yeah. So I thought, you know, like even six years ago, I thought, oh, when I can't, when I can't compete for a team anymore, I'll probably disappear and just run on my own. But you know what? Every year I get older and every year I still love training and competing. (laughs) It hasn't gone away. And so I'm like, I want to keep competing. And if that means I'm running a 239 marathon, you know, in a few years, maybe it'll be a 245 marathon. And after that, it'll be a three hour marathon. But like, if that's what I want to do, that's what I want to do. And I enjoy the process and I have the right to do it. And, you know, I have, I'm so fortunate that I have people that sponsor me, whether I race or not. And so they're pumped when I want to race because they're like, cool, fun. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just at this place where I love to train. I love to compete. I love to challenge myself. And I was just looking for kind of a new challenge after Houston. You know, I was very disappointed to not be able to finish. And I had talked to my coaches ahead of time and I said, this is going to be it for a while. I don't know. I'm sure at some point I'll come back and run another marathon, but this is definitely the last marathon on the roads for a while for me. So they knew that. And afterwards they thought, you know, like, well, you're actually in really great shape. And what if you just let this heal up? And we tacked on two more months of training and tried again. Mm. And I was like, I, you know, my initial reaction was like, I just don't want to do that. And then, uh, they said, well, you know, don't make any decisions now. And so two, a couple of weeks later we revisited it and I still had the same feeling emotionally, which was I'm ready to try something new. And so they were awesome and supportive about it. And they like helped me with kind of guiding me through this next step. But I just in my heart was like, I, I want to try something new and I want to try an adventure that I haven't done. And I want to get out there and run hard, but I want to challenge myself in a new way. And I don't want to run something that I can compare to my former self. So I want to just be free. Yeah, I love it. What? Why did you choose Leadville? Like, what was the motives behind that? Do you know anything about competition there? Tell me all the things about why Leadville. So I think, you know, I, I'm not like this trail or ultra running like guru, but I, the two races that I have read about and watched documentaries and stories about are Western States and Leadville. So Western States is like, you got to get in there. That's like hardcore. Um, and then not that Leadville is an hardcore, it super is, but I definitely wasn't ready to just like jump into a 50 miler or a hundred miler. So I thought, well, I mean like Leadville is, it's kind of local I could be a part of this historic race, but I could still run the marathon distance, which I'm really comfortable with the distance. And I can kind of just like dip my toe into this new community and this new atmosphere and see what I think um, without having to train for like two or three years to get ready to do this like hundred mile race or something. So I was really intrigued with it and they were really friendly back and it was kind of like, okay, I mean, I'm, I know I can make the distance. I'm definitely nervous about the terrain. I'm most nervous about the elevation. Yeah. (laughs) But I kind of like that because I'm like, okay, I'm not just going to a trail and running a marathon. I'm still running something that has a lot of challenges and obstacles along the way. So yeah, I'm just like, I'm really excited. I'm nervous, but um, nervous in like a good, excited way. So, but you live at altitude, you're running in altitude, but tell me about the difference between like what your everyday, like 10 mile run is from your house to what the actual race will be as far as altitude goes and elevation. Yeah. So my house is at like 5,500 feet and most of my runs are at this within 200 feet of this elevation. Um, but Leadville starts at 10,000 feet and it goes up to 13,000 feet. (laughs) 
So I do occasionally, like leading up to Houston, I ran up at 9,000 feet four times in training for long runs. But even that 9,000 feet, that's Leadville starts even higher than that. So, um, they, you know, I live just three blocks down from the mountains. And so I've been running up there and you can get up over 7,000 feet, but for high 6,000, but still, again, you're significantly lower than what you're going to be facing. So I think that's going to be a really big challenge. Um, just controlling myself at the beginning of the race and not trying to push too hard in the beginning, because when you get up over 12,000 feet, I mean, that's serious height. So I'm trying to prep myself for that. I'm trying to get up over 9,000 feet more often. And I'm trying to take a couple trips out there before the race, just to calm my fears of like, I can do this. It's going to be hard, but I can do this. Do you do like any hiking or stair climbing or anything like that in your training for this? Yeah. So that's, that's one cool thing is the community has been so amazing. So I've had like coaches and athletes reach out to me and people who have run it before. And that has been one of the suggestions is to hike stairs. So behind my house, there's a bunch of trails, but one of the trails has significant like rock stair climb. And so my son and I went out there and we did that on Sunday and I had already trained that morning, but just kind of getting used to, you know, hiking in a race, right? Like coming from the roads or from the track, that seems like, <laughs> hey, but why would you do that? You know, but <laughs> it's more efficient to kind of hike up those stairs and to try to like prance, prance your way up them. So yeah, it's really different, but it's been, it's been fun to find something totally new and totally different at 40. Yeah. I'm curious. Do you know, like, have people told you until about the course, like, are there significant sections of that course where you will be hiking? Yeah. So as far as I've been told from people who have done it and from coaches, it's, um, the last couple miles up over mosquito pass are pretty difficult and there's a lot of walking and hiking there. And then the rest of it is a mix of trails and, um, like old fire roads. So not quite as technical the rest of it, but there is a pretty good section right as you pass over mosquito pass. So right at the height, right when you're up at 13,000 feet, the challenge (laughs) is there. (laughs) Um, who are some ultra runners and people in the trail scene that you're kind of like watching and people that you admire? I mean, like obviously Scott Jerk is a huge one for me because I grew up so close to him and he is just such a superstar. He won Western States, I believe seven times. And before it was even like, you know, before we had social media or anything like that, I remember reading about it in the Duluth paper, one of his victories and being, but it was like another one. He was like another victory for Scott Jurek. And (laughs) Um, so oh, yeah, I you guys are Minnesota been... people. I forget. Yeah. You're like, yeah, you guys are the Minnesota people. Yeah. Isn't there someone else from Minnesota in that scene? Who am I thinking of? Oh, I don't know. Probably. Minnesota creates a lot of great runners. Yeah. Um, Carrie Tolson. There we go. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh yeah. She's awesome. So he's probably the first person I, who like introduced me into trail running, like just by following him and being like, wait, what is this Western States? And like, why would you do that? And um, wait, where is it? You know, so he's the first person that made me pay attention to it at all. And then locally, like Kat Bradley lives here. She's also won Western States and she's been super friendly and helpful, um, guiding me and giving me advice along the way. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a little intimidated to run with these people because I don't ever run on stuff like that. So it's intimidating. It's like, I mean, when I get invited for these runs, I'm like, uh, I'm going to embarrass myself. So it's been, it's been interesting. I'm intimidated, but I'm pr- trying to just say yes to everything. Cause every time I run with someone new, I learn so much about the sport and learn so much about running and etiquette. Like I didn't know 
when you're passing each other on the trail, like who's supposed to move out of the way? I didn't know. And I learned that, oh, the person coming down gets the right away. You have to move out of the way. <laughs> so like, I, I feel like I learned something new every time I run with someone. Yeah. Well, you have me thinking about kind of just like coming from such a speed, fast background, like track to marathon. I'm just thinking of someone like a Jim Walmsley who like, you know, he just did the half marathon. Uh, mm-hmm. He qualified for the trials in the half marathon, but he's like, just the ultimate badass at the hundred mile distance. And I wonder what your like speed, just your natural speed that you have and you're, you know, are gifted with how that will lend to being able to power through. I mean, I feel like you'd be really good at a 50. (laughs) Jumping right in. (laughs) Thanks, Lindsay. No, I mean, I'm definitely curious about going further. I think it's been on the back. I, the first time I really, really thought about it was, 2013, I was injured, um, got injured right after the U.S. track championships. I broke my foot on a run with Shalane, and she was, it was horrible, and she had to go pick me up in her car. But um, So I was riding my bike, and my husband had set up the bike outside because it was one of, like, a really nice day in Portland, and he had hooked up his computer in front of it, and he was showing me this documentary. It was called, I want to say it was called Unbroken or Unbreakable, and it was about Western states. And I was just planning on doing like a quick 30 minute ride with some pushes. And I ended up just like riding so long because I wanted, I couldn't stop watching this documentary. And that was the first time I thought like, huh, like maybe someday I could do that. Like maybe I could be that strong and like do something like that. And then, um, Adam's uncle, actually Bob Becker is the oldest person to run Badwater he ran it in his seventies. Oh, wow. And not only that, he did Badwater, then he ran up and down Mount Whitney and then Badwater again. So he did double Badwater. In one day? And he did that like at, the whole time in no, one experience? It was over the course of, yeah, in one experience. And he was, I think, seventy two or seventy three at the time. Wow. So following his career and you know, he's not like doing it to try to win. He's just like this guy who loves he came into running in his fifties and he has a race series now. He has the Keys one hundred is his race and so following him along too and just how much he loves it even though it's like a little bit crazy from the outside looking in at him like he's run across the Sahara and just done all this like insane stuff but it's like he gets so much out of it so watching that movie and then getting to know Bob a little better and then uh in 2015 Adam ran Trans Rockies which is a stage race over six days here in Colorado and I can't remember exactly but I think it's about 120 miles over six days but they climb like 13 or 14,000 feet during those six days. So it's like this just crazy run through the mountains. And he did that. And Colt and I went up to watch him finish. And it was like, he was like, that was the coolest thing I've ever done. And then he started, we got his pictures back and the things he was seeing. And I was like, you know what? You know, and this is the summer that I'm training to get ready for hopefully the Olympics. So I'm like still totally focused on the roads at that point. But I was like, I really want to experience this. I want to push myself and see if I can do that. So it's kind of been building, but we'll see how this, this first experience goes. Yeah. It's experiencing running in a completely different way than you ever have. Are you, do you think your nerves before this race will be calmer than they would on like a different stage or how do you picture the setting? I think they'll feel really different. I think when I, when I line up on the roads, I feel a lot of pressure of like, how fast is this going to be? People are watching, you know, like, what time am I going to run? Am I going to, yeah, I don't know. It's more stressed about like, what the time is going to be and how the reaction is going to be from other people about that time. Whereas the time doesn't matter here. 
And I'm more just like, I want to finish. Like, I do not want to, I mean, I don't think that people can really get to you. So you kind of got to finish, but like, I don't want to like drop out or blow up. I just want to have this like good positive experience because I'd love to move forward from this and, and explore even further. So I think I'll still be nervous though. Cause I think I'll be like, this is something I've never done before. And this is going to be, it's just going to hurt my body in a different way. Will Adam and Colt come out? Who, what's your crew look like as far as who's going to come out and support you at the race? Oh yeah. Adam and Colt will be there. Um, a couple of my friends are coming. My strength coach just told me today she wants to come. And so, um, you know, it'll be, it'll be fun, but it's, it doesn't feel super pressury. Like I am not trying to light the world on fire. I'm just trying to see if this is something that my body is capable of doing. So I'll be nervous because I care about it and I'll have put a lot of training into it, but it doesn't feel like all this pressure, like, well, did you run 235 or didn't you run 235? And what does that mean? And does that mean you should run the trials or does that mean you should try to get Dina's record? You know, it's just like, oh, no, I'm just trying to like run up and down this mountain. Is your strength coach the woman that was in your Instagram live today? Yeah, she did that. I've never done Instagram live <laughs> in my life. And she's like, you should try it sometime. And I was like, I will. And she's like, let's do it right now. So yeah, that's her, Erin <laughs> Carson. I hopped on Instagram about 20 minutes before this interview just to like be like, has she posted anything today? What's going on today? And I was like, oh, there's an Instagram live. That was fun. And you got to be working out uh, with Adam. Do you guys work out together all the time? We do. Yeah. So we work out together Wednesday, Friday, like for two, two and a half years now. And then now we're adding Monday because I want to get a little bit like a little bit more strong and a little bit get more movement in my body before Leadville. So now we're working out together Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Yeah. So you're incorporating more like agility stuff. Like what different strength stuff are you incorporating now that you're, you weren't doing when you were just training for a road marathon? Yeah, I'm doing a lot more like lateral movement, quick feet. Like we got the speed ladder back out. I haven't looked at a speed ladder in like eight <laughs> years. Um, but like coming down, you need quicker feet. And anytime you go over like difficult terrain, I, my tendency is to like overstride land really heavy on my leg and then like try to pause and think about where my next leg is going to go. And everyone's like, no, no, no. You need like quick little feet, quick little steps, quick off the ground. That's how you not, that's how you don't fall. So been working a lot on that. I've, I do a lot of jumping off of boxes so that my landings are good and more strong. Cause you know, when you run a marathon, you don't, you're trying to just like skim across the surface. You're not like landing off of a rock or coming down off of a big step. So it's just been a lot of really different stuff, but it's been fun. Hey friends, I'm going to break in real quick and thank a sponsor for this episode. And that is Mercury Mile. Spring is here and it's time to freshen up your running gear. Mercury Mile has everything you need to look and feel great as the weather turns warmer. Every run is an experience and they make shopping for running an experience as well. MercuryMile.com is the place to go to for the latest styles. Fusing fashion with function, you will find top brand shorts, tops, tights, and accessories in calm, cool color palettes or bright, bold patterns. You can start running your Mercury Mile in just three easy steps. Go to MercuryMile.com. Complete a short profile outlining your sizes and preferences. Choose a shipment date and check out. It's that simple. At MercuryMile.com, their expert stylists create a personalized shopping experience for men and women. And then they deliver what you need right to your doorstep so you can get moving. Go to MercuryMile.com. That's MercuryMile.com today to save $10 off your stylist fee. Use the code ANOTHER19. 
That's mercurymile.com and use the code ANOTHER19 to save $10 off your stylist fee. All right. And I also want to thank Koros for supporting this podcast episode. You guys, Koros is my favorite GPS watch. I love it for my swimming, my running, my biking, all the activity. If you are in the market for a new watch, this thing is easy to use and it's super accurate. I use it when I swim laps in the pool. I use it on all my runs. And I'm telling you, if I can figure it out and sync it all up to my phone and Strava, if I can do it, it's easy. So if you have any questions about the watch, let me know. I personally love it. Glenn loves it. Glenn wears it to bed at night and he tracks his sleep. And I'm jealous every single morning because he's always at like seven plus hours of sleep. The guy is the best sleeper I've ever met in my entire life. But that's not the point of the watch. (laughs) There are so many other great features. So anyway, guys, use the code ANOTHER to save 10% off your watch. And by the way, the watch that I have is the Apex. You do see athletes like Camille Heron and Sally McRae using this watch. So go to Coros, C-O-R-O-S dot com. Use the code ANOTHER for 10% off your order. Thanks, Coros, for supporting this episode of the podcast. You guys enjoy the rest of my conversation with Kara Goucher. Okay, let's talk about where you are in your career right now, like at 40 and and entering Leadville. And what would 40-year-old Kara tell 25-year-old Kara? I think 40-year-old Kara would say, you can have this last forever. Like, just don't be so down on yourself right now. It'll come around and you have no idea where it's going to take you. And someday you're going to look back and think, as sad as you are right now, like it doesn't really matter that you missed a season or two. Like that's not what's going to define you. Like just take your time because it's going to be here for you for the long haul. When you look back at your marathons, how many marathons have you ran? I was just counting this. Um, seven or eight, maybe. I don't know. Like two Olympic trials, one games, one world champs, three Boston's, two New York's, nine. And you've podiumed in Boston and New York. What, which, do you have a marathon that's most meaningful to you? Um, you know, I think Houston would have been the most meaningful, which Mm -hmm. really is a bummer just because it was on my own terms and it was for me and not for anything else. Um, but you know, I really loved the Boston marathon and almost to the point where it was, where it was an obsession I think I was third, fifth, and sixth there. And now with uh, people getting busted, I don't really know anymore what places I was for sure. Sure. But um, I was just, I just loved it so much. And I love the history and I just love the community. And I, I just felt really embraced there. And so that probably was my favorite place to race. Although I, I, with that came a lot of pressure and expectation. Um, but I really loved being a part of that race. Yeah, man. Third place at Boston. That was, was that 2009? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was my first Boston too. I was just a little way. Back. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I remember it was a little bit windy that year, but it's always fun when you're running Boston as, you know, just like a non-elite runner. Cause we get, we get the inside scoop of who's winning. So like we knew that you got third place before we were anywhere near the finish line. So that's always super <laughs> oh, fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and, no, that was a good year. And when you got third in New York, weren't you like one of the, weren't you the first American in like 
20 or am I going to say 20 and it's 30? I don't know. A long time to podium in New York. Yeah. I don't know how long it was, but it was at least 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. And that was your debut marathon, huh? Yeah. So I, I had run a half marathon the year before without knowing anything that I was doing. So I had run the world championships and I had won a medal and I got this offer to come run this race in the UK and it was going to be on the roads, great North run. And they said, well, we'll pay you. Um, I think they said, we'll pay you like $3,000 to come. And I had never gotten appearance to you before, mm-hmm. but I had just won the medal. He said like, we'll pay you $3,000 to run the three K, but, or we'll pay you $20,000 to run the half marathon. And my coach at the time was like, you're not ready to run a half marathon. You know, that's two or three years away. And I said, okay, but they, they said they'd pay me $20,000. And he said, you'll be fine. Worst place you're going to get like eighth or ninth. Like you'll be fine. You know? <laughs> and so we went over there. My husband and I went over, he ran the three K and then came back the next day and ran the half marathon as well. But, um, I didn't know what I was doing. I had never run that far. And I just got competitive with Paula Radcliffe, like that just competitive instinct kicked in. I noticed that every time we went uphill, I was pulling a little bit away from her. And then I would slow down and be like, what are you doing? You're being stupid. She's run 215. Like, (laughs) what are you thinking? You know? And then we went up another hill and I was like, no, this is it. Like I, this is it. I got to stick it to her. Like I can tell that she's hurting on the uphills. And then, yeah, I kind of built this lead. And anyway, at like the 10 mile mark. I don't even know where we were. I was like, how much further? And the guy's like, 2K, laddie. And I was like, in miles. Like, I was like dying. <laughs> but anyway, I ran 6657, which I didn't, I had no idea of the significance of it at the time. I didn't know that it was under the American record. I didn't know that it was the fastest debut ever of any female in the world. And I, did, I didn't know any of those things. But five weeks, I, I mean, I learned later. But five weeks later, I watched Paula on the press truck win the New York City Marathon. And I was completely captivated by watching her. I was totally in awe. And also I was totally intimidated because she was running so hard. Um, but she ran so hard for two hours and I think like 24 or 25 minutes. And I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. And that night I told my coach, like, I want to do this next year. So that I knew a year ahead of time, like, I want to know if I can do that. I want to know if I'm that strong. So the great North run, I was looking that up and I was like, why does, isn't she the American record holder then? Because I knew Molly Huddle had run a 67, and that put her at the record holder. So it's because it's a point-to-point course, but is it, it's hilly though, right, what you ran? It's re- Yeah, it's really hilly. It is net downhill okay. because there's a huge downhill at the end, which is actually awful because it's one of those super steep ones. So you're not like, oh, a nice, like, casual downhill. Like, you feel like your knees are going to be in your mouth. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very hilly. And I think anyone that's run great North kind of likes to defend it. Cause we're like, this is not a flat <laughs> course. It's really hilly course. Um, and people who haven't run there go, Oh yeah, it's point to point and it's downhill. And so it's, I challenge anyone that thinks that to go run it. Uh, but yeah, it's point to point and it has been a downhill. So it doesn't count for record purposes. Dang it. I know. Oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> what have you learned from athletes like, uh, Paula Ratcliffe? You know, I got to train with her when we were both pregnant. We trained together for three months and I would just, we would go on these 90 minute runs and I would just ask her so many questions and she would just really encourage me to like, let go of thinking so much, you know, like I had this goal when I was younger that I was going to run 218 and that never materialized. I never even came close. 
Um, but she was like, you're not going to run 218 by paying attention to what everyone else is doing in the race. You're going to run 18 to 18 by running the way you did at great North run mm. and just, you know, running hard. So that I'll never forget that. She was like, you need to get back to just being reactionary and believing in yourself. And I mean, I feel really lucky. I've got to spend a lot of time with Joni, who has also given me very similar advice, actually. Um, and I got to train, I've gotten to train with some incredible athletes like Shalane and Emma and Jenny. And so I feel really lucky with the people I've been able to just learn from because they're all very different, but they all have really good nuggets of wisdom. Yeah. Most recently you've been training with Emma and who else is up there that you guys are training with? So Emma is now in a different group. I still run with her, but she's in a, a group with like Aisha Lear and um, actually her group has gotten really big. It's a really good group. Laura Thweet and Don Scott mm. and um, Corey McGee and Kayla Edwards. So she has a really solid group. And the group that I trained with last year and was Shalay Kip, who now moved to Canada, um, Jenny Simpson and Sarah Sutherland. And then I run with the CU women quite a bit. So I love the CU women. I feel like they're such a cool group of women. They like really, really like each other and they're so encouraging to each other. And so one of my favorite things about training for Houston was I'd go out and run five to eight miles and then circle back and run with them. And they'd be running anywhere between like 12 and 15. And so then I would catch them for, for that amount of miles. And then maybe I'd have to add on or maybe I would just be done. And I loved running with them because I think when you get older, especially on the elite side, you start to get like a little bit jaded, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like you start to learn a little bit more about like getting held out of meats or like maybe people aren't as like doping or, and you just start to be a little, you know, you just are a little like more rough around the edges and they're more like anything is possible. And I just am so <laughs> happy. And, you know, as so I really, really enjoyed running with them so much. And I've told them a million times, but again, it was just such a highlight being able to do so much running with them. That's this last build up. Yeah. Oh, the sweet souls of a 20 year old. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I love you guys. You're so innocent and young and cute. <laughs> <laughs> do you, would you change anything about the way you've gone about speaking out for clean sport? Um, I don't think so. I think I always thought I would wait till my career was over, but it got to a point where I just couldn't, I just felt like I had to like unburden myself and tell the truth of what I saw. And it def, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It has affected my career significantly. And, um, there are races that are not friendly to me. There are, mm. you know, people in the sport, photographers, meet directors that are not friendly to me. Um, yeah. but but like I, I also feel like it helped me almost make that Olympic team because I had finally unburdened myself and I could just be at peace with myself and not carry it around anymore. So I really don't have any regrets. I, you know, there's a video of me at the Olympic trials in 2016, which is not very flattering, which maybe perhaps I would have thought that through. But again, I was like, had just finished fourth. I hadn't had anything to eat or drink. I just ran 230 in 88 degree weather or whatever it was. So like, you know, like give me a little, uh, grace. you know, I, I, yeah, I give myself a little grace for that. Cause I know I was as raw as you can be physically and mentally, emotionally, that's as raw as you, as a person can possibly be in that moment. So I really don't have a lot of, I really don't have regret. No, that's so hard to be put on the spotlight like that after such an emotional, like one of the most, most emotional events of your entire life. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've, I've, 
been shown that video by other people and it's not, it's not flattering, but also if, if anyone that's run a marathon, you're, you're, you're on empty, mm-hmm. right? You're on empty emotionally because you had to fight this mental battle the whole time. You're physically empty because you've spent all of the calories in your body and it's just hard. I mean, I always am super emotional after a marathon, whether it goes great or whether it goes bad. It's just the way I am because I've spent it all out there. You know, I've spent everything out on the course. And so I didn't say anything that wasn't true. It just, I just didn't necessarily use like good language. (laughs) I'm just thinking about this and I've interviewed Jordan, you know, Jordan has say on the show and she looks at Alberto as like a father figure. And I, I just wonder when you walked away from that and hung up that chapter of your life, how emotionally difficult was that? It's like a breakup almost like of someone, was he like a father figure to you in some ways? Yeah, it was way, it was way worse than a breakup. Yeah. It was absolute turmoil. Yeah. Um, he was a total father figure to me. We were very, very close. He was very, very close with my family. You know, I don't, my father died when I was years old and I mean, I, I would literally tell him that he filled that void and, and he did for me. So I think that's one thing people don't understand. It's, it's not like you just go, oh, I don't like you anymore. It's been, it still is painful. Mm. It's still painful for me to have that loss. Yeah. And then you moved to Jerry and now you're with Mark Wetmore and yeah. Heather Burroughs. <laughs> tell me about those coaching transitions, like coming off of like that huge hardship and hardship in your life of kind of like moving from away from Alberto and in that project, how do you then transition your heart and your emotional energy to working with someone else like Jerry? Yeah. So, I mean, Jerry and I got along great and he got me at a rough point. I mean, I was very emotional during that time. Um, I was, you know, constantly questioning myself if I should do, if I should have left and then, he was co- actually coaching me when I first went to USADA. And so that was also like very emotionally draining for me. So I feel like Jerry got me kind of at like a hot, a hot mess, you know, during that time. It was a total hot mess. And also Jerry and I, I never, um, I felt like he was kind of like my big brother. Mm. So I think most of the people on that team kind of fear disapproval from Jerry, whereas I, I don't know, it's not that I couldn't take him seriously. I took him very, very seriously and I totally trusted him with my career. But it was just a little bit different feel. Like he's born in 1970, I'm born in 78. Like basically we're like the same generation. So I don't know. It was just like an interesting time to run for him. But it was fun. I really enjoyed running for him. And we were able to stay friends when I left. It was I left on very good terms. And then coming back to Mark and then having Heather help was I didn't know how it would feel because I had been gone for 10 years. I had changed so much as a person and as an athlete in those 10 years. Um, you know, Mark was also like a father figure to me when I was younger and I really hung on every word he said. And now I came back like a little hardened and a little, you know, I'd had my own success, but also I was a little hardened to, to what the world is really like. And Heather had been my teammate at Colorado. And so now she was going to be my coach. So I wasn't totally sure how the transition would go, but it it honestly couldn't have been smoother. They treated me with respect right away. And, you know, it wasn't awkward for Heather to be coaching me. In fact, I really enjoyed her, her insight and her dedication to it. So I don't know. It's, it was the, those transitions were not as hard as I feared they would be. Yeah. Now 
we're get closing in on the end, but we haven't talked about podium retreat at all. So just tell everybody okay. what's going on. I know I feel bad because I'm like, I want to bring up podium no, retreat. Fine. Um, no, tell everybody what's going on with that this year. You guys like sell out the second it opens, right? Yeah, it, it goes pretty quick. So I just got the final contract. Um, we're going to host it in Boulder again, but it's going to be at a new location. And we're trying something new this year. So the last few years, it's been Thursday to Sunday morning, Thursday night, to Sunday morning. This year, it's going to be all day Saturday, Sunday with like a meet and greet Thursday, uh, Friday night. So we're going to try to kind of condense it so people don't have to be away from their families so long. So we'll see how it goes. If it's, if it's too stressful to do it in two big days, then we'll go back to the other, um, we'll go back to the other formula. But it's going to be October 19th and 20th with a meet and greet on the 18th. And I'm super excited. This will be year number six. Oh, wow. And. Yeah, I'm excited about this new venue we're going to. They're super excited to have us. And so, yeah, I don't know. I, I just really love it. And I, if anyone's considering coming, it does not matter how fast you are. Every year I have women say, well, I can only run a 10-minute mile. Should I bother coming? Yes, you should definitely come. All that I care about is that you run. <laughs> and you can come injured. It doesn't matter. But that's what's going to bond us together. And then we're going to learn about all of these other cool things and all these other things in our lives that can enhance our lives. But like our, our nucleus is that we like to run. And then we just build upon that. So it doesn't matter how old you are, how fast you are, how skinny you are. I don't care. I want you to come. If you have an open heart and you like to run, I want you to come. So when you look at your life in like 20 years, um, obviously at 60, you're not going to be like, you know, racing super competitively. Well, maybe for the 60 age group, you will be, but <laughs> <laughs> I know that you don't like to like not challenge yourself. So even at 60, we'll be doing those things. Um, wh where do you see your life? Like, what do you see you and Adam doing, living, investing your time in? I think we just, we like to be outdoors. You know, we, we had a, a pretty big property in Portland. We'd love to be fortunate enough to have something like that again. My grandparents lived on a big acreage and worked the property. And um, we really admired that life. You know, they, they would work the property during the day. They'd take their dew break, their mountain dew break every day. <laughs> they'd work the property a little bit more and then they'd have dinner. And it was very, you know, I grew up very outdoorsy. My family was, was always outside. Um, my sisters were always outside. And then my grandparents were always outside, like just working, working the property. And so I think... When we're 60, like my dream would be that we have some property. We're working that property. Colt still loves us and comes home all the time. Or maybe we've built him a little home on the property. And that I, we're still just really active in the community and um, close with friends and family and, and promoting the sport we love so much, but that we have kind of a, a quieter, peaceful life. Yeah. And so and your new line with Wazel just came out sort of recently. What's where do you see yourself with Wazelle in the coming, you know, five years, 10 years, 20 year plan? Yeah. So like each year that goes on, I, I like to be a little bit more involved or learn more about the company. So I was there about a month ago and I, you know, I always meet with the design team because I really have always been interested in design, but I got to sit in on a marketing meeting too. So I, I really love Wazelle. I feel like it's brought so many women together and I would like to, to be involved in that for as long as they'll have me. Um, because I feel like it's done a lot of really great things as far as like enhancing women's running and bringing people together. So I love being around them. So I'm hoping they don't kick me out. I don't know. Maybe they need a 60 year old model down the road. Um, <laughs> so 
So yeah, I don't know. And I mean, same with Ultra. Ultra has been so great as far as being like, we just want you to explore who you want to be. And so I hope that these relationships um, keep growing. And I mean, at some point, they're going to be like, I'm not going to sponsor you anymore, you know, but (laughs) until then, like, I just, I feel pretty fortunate to be able to do what I'm doing. Well, we all need some age diversity in our models. So a 60 year old model, that's right. Yeah, exactly. What have you learned from your relationships with Lauren Fleshman and and Sally? Like what, what do those women and, and Dr. Lesko, like what do those women bring to your life? You know, they have really taught me that my voice matters. Um, I, I remember the first time I went to Wazelle after I had chosen to leave Nike and I was visiting with multiple companies at the time. And I had a meeting with Sarah and um, actually her husband, Bob and Sally and Lauren had been there, but she wasn't at this particular meeting, but they said, you know, what do you want to talk about? What, if you came to Wazelle, what would be your priorities and what's the message you'd want to spread? And I was like, Oh, I don't know. What do you guys want to spread? What's your mission? And they're like, no, no, no. Like we, if you come to us, we're going to want to, what do you want to do? What do you want us to help you do? And I couldn't think of anything because I had just never thought that way. I was like, I was like, you tell me what's important to the company and then I'll do that, you know? And so it was kind of embarrassing. Like I remember we drove to the airport and I was like, I'm embarrassed. I'm like in my mid and I don't know what I want to talk about. So I feel like Lauren and Sarah and Sally have really encouraged me to find my voice and to share what I care about. And it's, it's really changed my life. I've started to blog more and just be not that I want to be controversial at all. I actually hate controversy, but I like, uh, feel more empowered to say like, Oh, I don't actually agree with that. Or this is something that I really love and that I feel strongly about. And I think just, yeah, that my voice matters and that it's okay to share it. It's scary to write anything that might be remotely controversial because people will twist any word into a different way. And so it's like, it's so scary to put something out there because you're so afraid someone's going to like take it the wrong way, you know? It's so true. And it's, it's, and it's so funny. You can pour your heart into something and you get a hundred comments that are like, oh my gosh, I can relate to this. And you get one or two negative ones. And those are the ones that just eat at you. You're like, but that's not what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> I have a good heart. Like my intentions yeah. are good. Please know that. Yeah, please. Like just call me up. Like we're, we're fine. And so that's been also hard for me to learn because I avoid conflict like the plague. My family makes fun of me that like when I was younger, if anyone was fighting, I'd just turn around and walk out of the room because I just, I hate arguing. I hate fighting. And um, so that's been something that's been hard for me to, to adjust to is that there are a lot of people, not a lot, but there's a, a handful of people who continually um, send me negative comments and messages. And, and so that's been something that's been, you know, hard to get used to. And I don't think it'll ever be comfortable. No, I re- I hear some people that have like very large social media presence to say like, I literally just don't read my comments because I just can't because exactly what you just said, like the hundreds of great comments are, are good, but like the ones that stick with me are the ones that hurt. It's so true. But I have a hard time because I feel really connected to people who yeah. take the time, to right? You know what I mean? Like someone reads my post and feels so strongly that they want to like respond to me. Yeah. And I, I want to like hit that little heart and let them know, like I read that and I, I appreciate that. I saw that. So yeah. I, yeah, totally. So it's like, it's just a balance. Like if I am going to do that and I am going to read everything, 
then I have to have a little bit thicker skin and know that there's going to be people that don't like me. The thing that I always find so funny is if you hate me and you hate the things I say, why are you following me and commenting back? Because I feel like that actually makes you a fan. Right. (laughs) Totally. I know. I've had some reviews on this podcast where I'm like, why are you even spending the time to leave that review if my if it's like right? hurting your ears? Like, <laughs> right. if it's hurting your ears, wouldn't you just turn it off and be like, yeah, you know what, I'm not going to do listen to that. Yeah, <laughs> like but there's move something. On. Uh, yeah, but there's something about it. So it, then it's all you know. It's obviously like it's a personal weird thing. But yeah, I always like there are times where I just want to tweet back or write back. You don't have to follow me. There's this button called yes. unfollow. <laughs> you click it. And then you never have to see me again. Totally. So (laughs) funny. Okay, Kara. Um, You guys, Kara's going to stay on and do a couple Patreon questions for us, but we're going to wrap up. So if you would like to support the show on Patreon, you can get bonus content from Kara. We also have bonus content from Shalane. So all of your favorite runners. Um, All right, Kara, though, let's let's do end of the podcast questions. Did did Shanna, is it Shanna or Shana? It's Shanna. Shanna. Okay. Did Shanna send you these? She sent them, but I don't like to read stuff. Okay. I just like to, yeah. Just go into it blindly. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right, Kara, what is something professionally or personally that you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? Um, complete an ultra distance. Complete an ultra distance. Okay. That's after, that's after the Leadville Marathon, right? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> What's an accomplishment you're most proud of? Um... I think I think winning the medal at the 2007 World Championships because we hadn't won a medal in a long time and we have not gone a championship since without winning a medal. So I feel like that kind of kickstarted this huge wave. And then how did that feel to be upgraded a medal? It, I was very emotional at the ceremony. I mean, I I couldn't stop crying. It just I it was it was a, a lot of emotions like happiness, frustration. Um, but mostly I just felt so grateful that they realized that this was painful for us and it mattered that they acknowledge us. Yeah. What is the uh, best, most recent book you've read? Um, I can't remember the title, but I love Jodi Picoult. I don't know if you've ever read any of her books, but I just read one about a shooting at an abortion clinic and it was really good. She's such a good writer. She just ropes you into all the characters. So, and it's easy reading. I've heard, I've heard of that book. I want to read it. Um, yeah, small, great things was the last book of hers that I read. Yeah. That's a good one too. That's with the, in the hospital, right? Yeah. Yeah. So good. Yeah. I was, I think I read that, like, I think I was like six months postpartum, but I remember thinking, I'm so glad I'm not like just about to have a baby. Oh yeah. No, that would be so depressing. (laughs) Yeah. It's really hard. Um, yeah, her books are great. Okay. What is, this is the big one. What is one message you'd like to send to the world? Oh, I think just to be kind, just just think before you speak. And it's, I feel like we're at a place where it's easy to hide behind, easy to find groups of people that think exactly like you and to hide behind anonymity. I can't say that word, but be honest and just sort of attack, but just like really think about your words matter and kindness matters. And I just feel like we have so much more in common than we have differences. All right, Kara, I love that. Thank you so much for your insight, your wisdom, and sharing your story with everybody. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Thanks, Kara, for coming on the show and sharing your story with us, being vulnerable, and just being you, being the real deal in your true self. 
I always knew when I got to the place where I would interview you that it would be a great conversation and you provided just that. You guys can find Kara all over social media. She's Kara Goucher and you can find me on social media. Instagram is lindsayhine626. Twitter is Lindsay Hine and Facebook is I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine where we have a group as well. I hope to see you at the 500 Festival Mini Marathon here in a few weeks. Saturday, May 4th is the race. Use the code ANOTHER19 to save $7 off your entry. Let me know if you're going to be there because I hope to meet many, many listeners and friends at that event. All that we talk about every week, the show notes are over at lindsayhine.com. And actually, if you subscribe to my newsletter, which if you go to my website, one of the annoying little boxes will pop up that asks you to subscribe. You can subscribe and get the show notes emailed to you every single week. I swear that's like basically the only email that sends out every week unless there's something other major going on. So lindsayhine.com and every Friday, the show notes will be sent to your inbox. All right, you guys have a wonderful day. Have a great rest of the weekend. And as always, I will see you next Friday.